you. Thank you, Well, I, I don't, uh, I really don't have uh, enough words or not near enough time to be able to tell you how privileged and just how moved I am to be here today. I'd forgotten how rich the presence of the Lord is in one of the Valley Community Services, and uh, boy, it was a pleasure. Uh, it's a very special place to me. I don't think there's a place of my life that doesn't have the Valley Community fingerprints, many of your fingerprints, familiar faces, and uh, Certainly Gary and Terry. 1986 and September the 6th, uh, Debbie and I were joined in marriage right about there. And, uh, and then we lived in the little church house that's on the other side of the campus here. And I carried her and three children across that threshold. And uh, we've, we've watched ourselves grow up. For about 12 of those years, we were personally mentored uh, by Gary and Terry. And I'm not exaggerating, I'm not saying this just to be nice, just because I happen to be standing on the platform that he now oversees, uh, but Gary and Terry were father figures to us, were parents to us in the spirit. First Corinthians 4 says, there's about 10,000 teachers, you can get information anywhere, but when you find someone who's a father, when you find someone who's willing to invest and speak into your life, well, you need to treasure that, you need to lean in. And uh, we, we really found that with Gary and Terry, and thank you again for trusting me to be here. I could go on and on because as I'm looking, man, I'm seeing faces and stories are coming back. But when Gary called and asked me to come, I felt immediately a confirmation of the Lord. So you could say that I traveled 2,600 miles to bring you a message. We could, probably should get to it. Is that okay with you? All right. I know Pastor Gary's been in a series talking about who God created you to be. Not just do, but who he created you to be. And I really had on my heart this morning to talk about one of the most dangerous and one of the most successful weapons that the enemy uses against us to stop us from being who God's called us to be, and that weapon is called worry. Now, as soon as I say that, I know that I might have lost uh, half the people in the room, especially the guys, because to admit that you worry is like automatically turn in your man card, you're done with that. But, but listen, I'm going to change terminologies a little bit. I'm going to broaden it so you see what the Bible's including and maybe get you guys back because I'm telling you what we're about to look at today. We're going to study four verses. It's a game changer. It was a game changer in my life. When I began to understand this, I'm telling you, I never, ever, ever again was the same. And it's so simple. I mean, it's right there in front of us. We don't have to be rocket scientists. We don't have to be theologians. We just have to be people with this childlike faith that will just simply believe what the Bible's telling us is true. So we're going to talk about how do we guard ourselves against and what do we do to, to move away from worry this morning. But I want to kind of start with a question to, that, that will micro-measure where stress fits in your life. Because some of you are probably saying, I'm not stressed at all. I, I don't know if this applies to me. Well, that's true, maybe. Or, or maybe you just don't feel stressed at the moment. But we're talking about how do you deal with that stuff as it comes because it's coming to everybody all the time. As long as we live here on the earth, before we go home to eternity, we're going to deal with things that are stressful, things that bring crisis. In fact, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said in the last days, it's going to get worse and worse and worse to the point that people who don't understand what we're about to talk about today, he said the hearts of men will fail them. They'll actually throw in the towel because they do not know what to do. They don't know how to respond 
to the intensity of the pressure. So here's something that will kind of measure it in your life. And I just want to ask the question. We're just going to let it sit there for a little bit. And then I'm going to try to come back at the end and, and see if you think any different about it. Here's the question. You've probably heard it before. But what would your life look like if you knew that you couldn't fail? What would your decisions, what would your process look like if you knew that you wouldn't be disappointed, that you wouldn't be hurt, that you wouldn't look foolish? And, and some of you might be thinking who are a little more logical, rational in your thought, well, okay, I can see where you're going with this, Pastor, but just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something, and that's true. However, in order to discover what you should be doing, you first have to be able to move away the stress so you can see what's possible. You can see what you can do, and otherwise, you'll just discount yourself because it, the odds look too big. The challenges look too big. Oh, I've tried that before. I'm just not good at that. That's just not who I am. It's really intimidating. I'm insecure for whatever reason. And you'll just kind of shut the door and turn off the lights, and yet God has something. He's trying to get your attention. He has some plan for you so that you can be everything that he's created you to be. That's what he meant in John 10.10 when he said, I want you to have life and have it to the full, to the fullest potential. We're not measuring against each other, but we're measuring against that little voice that sometimes begins to speak as you drift off to sleep that says, come on, there's more. Come on, if I could just get a shot. If I could just get an opportunity, if somebody would just give me a chance and recognize I got a whole nother gear here that I want to be able to express, yeah, that's what the Lord's created you to be. And the enemy is trying everything he do, can do to stop you. And even if you don't think that this applies this morning, don't tune out because, again, I don't think I would have to argue hard to convince you there's never been a time in history where understanding and recognizing how to navigate stress and worry is not more relevant than today. It's rampant. I mean, it's just, they're, they're classifying new diagnoses all the time in the realms of psychology and, and psychiatry and even in medicine because of the impact that stress, the impact that anxiety, the impact that worry has on people's lives. It's a real thing, and we need to understand how the Bible wants us to deal with it. Now, I want, I want you to open up, if you brought a Bible, if you'd like to turn there, to 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 Peter chapter 5, and while you're turning... Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, okay, about who's writing this and, and what, what's it all about so we can target in quickly. This is written about 50 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's written, of course, by Peter. He's named as the author of the book. But I don't want you to think of that young, reactionary Peter who made a lot of mistakes and was often sent to the back of the line by Jesus and, and ultimately in the moment of truth and when, when Jesus was on trial, denied him three times and said some profanities and stormed out of the courtyard. And don't think about that, Peter. That's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the older, wiser apostle of faith. He's been through some stuff now. He's been through some tough stuff. And he's learned some things about how to combat fear how to deal with worry, how to deal with those situations that just instantly explode in stress and you just want to run away, that fight or flight mode. But he's learned to say, no, no, let, let me show you some things about how to ground yourself so that you can hear from the Lord and keep moving forward and you can be everything that God's called you to be. And so 1 Peter chapter 5 is going to zero us real quick on the importance of cutting worry completely out of our life. The New Testament's shocking. It says things like, don't ever be anxious or worried about anything. 
I mean, that's a big statement. That's not even reality in the culture we live. I mean, if, if you're not like up at night wringing your hands about stuff, if you're not having sleepless nights and you're concerned about how things are going on, well, some people in our culture would say, well, you're just not responsible. I mean, that's just responsible people, right? They think about stuff. They're concerned about stuff. They're leaning in. They're watching every little thing. And I'm not talking about hiding your head in the sand, but Peter's going to show us some things. Worry and stress will do you no good. In fact, it'll be harmful to you, and it'll keep whittling your life down to a really small circle of safety and comfort. And that's never the way God wanted you to, to live. His plan for us has adventure in it. His plan for us has these great new beginnings that just open up to us, and we get to be more than we ever thought possible. But Peter's saying, I'm going to show you how. And here's how he's going to do it. He's going to answer, help us to answer three questions. The first one is, how dangerous is worry anyway? Because we kind of sort of know, but we don't really know the way that God's going to explain it here. The second question is, what should we do about it? And the third is, well, then where do we begin? Where do we begin? All right. So I, I have a, a real good sense that this is a church that loves the Word of God. Am I, am I right? I didn't sound very convincing. I'm, I'm new in town, so you kind of got to help me out here. Am I right? You love the Word of God? Okay. And you don't mind kind of rolling up your sleeves and getting into a study, right? Okay, you're going to get to, we're going to see that because we're just going to get into this thing and we're going to study it and pull some things apart. If you've got pen, paper, get ready to scribble some things down that the Lord whispers to your heart because this is going to be really, really, really important, right? I'm going to begin reading in verse number five. I'm in 1 Peter chapter five, and we're just going to clock down about four and a half verses, and then we're going to back up and uh, take a deeper look at this. Here's what it says. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore... Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now, that's what to do. Here's the big question. How do we do that? Casting all your care. That particular word means worry, stress, anxiety, uh, any of those things that creates a tension in your life that's unhealthy. He says, casting all your care upon him for or because he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood uh, in the world. So how many of, how many of you, you would say, Pastor, that's the first time I've ever seen those verses? Never seen them before, never heard them before. You don't have to be in, Christian, in Christianity for more than about 15 minutes, and somebody's going to say one of these verses to you. Somebody's going to write it in your card. Somebody's going to encourage you with one of these verses. But, but here's what I've learned even in my own life. Oftentimes, we read and we quote these verses like individually. It's kind of like an a la carte. And so this is the one that fits now. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. Or, or, or maybe, you know, resist the devil and he will flee from you. No. It, but, it, but it's kind of these one-at-a-time things. But Peter wrote them to be taken in a group. He's trying to help us to understand this is how to eliminate, not just contain, not just kind of quarantine to a manageable level, but to completely eliminate stress and worry and fear and anxiety so you can respond to life with confidence, with courage, with faith, and with an excitement that says, God's moving. He's doing something for me. Remember that whole other gear that I knew was there? I'm pretty sure God's moving me into it. I'm pretty sure it's about to open up. 
And it's going to take us being able to have this kind of faith. So here's the first question that he's going to help us to answer as we dive a little bit deeper. How dangerous is worry? How dangerous is worry? And we're going to jump into verse number seven, work our way down a little bit, then we'll fold back up and grab verse six. Okay, are you ready? Listen to this. It says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you, verse number eight, be sober and be vigilant. When you read be sober, you're like, be sober? There was no mention of alcohol anywhere in this. But here's what you and I know about worry. Worry has this intoxicating effect. Worry will make you say and do things that if you were sober in your thinking, you would never say and do. Worry gives you a reaction or gives you kind of an approach to life that in your right mind, without fear pressing you or anxiety chasing you, you would never do these things. But something happens when worry begins to take over and, and we're just not ourselves. And so he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to recognize, yeah, all that worry, all that pressure, that's not you. That, that's not you thinking clear. So he said, sober that up. Sober that up. And then he says, be vigilant. It means to remain awake and watchful. It actually in the Greek pictures a person who knows that the enemy's approaching and so they're like on high alert. They're watching out the window because they know any minute this guy could come around the corner and they don't want to be caught off guard. You say, well, why is this important? Again, because when, when we allow worry to come in and that anxiety comes, you don't have to raise your hand, but I can tell you I've experienced it. Worry has this effect on us that becomes discouraging. It just wears on you. And when you slide into worry and stress and that slides into discouragement, then you become really drowsy. And so it's saying, don't let yourself get drowsy. Don't let yourself kind of, kind of just you know, start losing hope and, and dwindling down in, into your shell. It says, wake up, wake yourself up and be vigilant because we're not, we're not in a time and a season where we can afford to go to sleep. This is the time for us to be wide awake. And you're saying, well, why is that so important that we're sober and we're watching and we're on high alert and we're vigilant? He goes on in verse 8 and says, because your adversary, the devil, is walking about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Now, we're not a stranger to the devil. We know we have an enemy. Sometimes, though, we don't realize that the devil's not his name. That's his title. That's what he's called. And, and it's really important in this passage that we recognize, what does the word devil mean? Why was he given that title? Because it shows us something about him that every one of us have experienced over and over again, but maybe we just didn't connect the dots. The word devil in the Greek is the word diabolos. It's a compound word. The first part of the word dia means to penetrate to penetrate or to break through. The second part of the word balos means to throw or to hurl or to continue to strike, to continue to strike. When you put these together, it pictures someone who comes with an object in their hand. And, and they take that object and they begin striking and striking and striking and striking and striking. And they keep doing that relentlessly until finally they break through. Tells you something about your enemy. He doesn't just come one time and just try to rattle you. Especially when he brings worry. He just keeps pounding and pounding and pounding. And you say, no, I'm not going to think like that. Nope, I'm going to trust the Lord. No, I'm not going to think like that. And no sooner do you kind of push it away that he comes right back again. 
over and over and over and over and over again. This is his approach, and we need to recognize this is what the devil's doing intentionally, trying to wear you down. But notice this, he's not random in his attack. The Bible says that he walks about. This particular word is not just a uh, kind of a, a casual descriptive. It's talking about the fact that the enemy is stalking you. It's really the Greek term that talks about he's walking around. And he circles your life over and over and over again. And you know what he's looking for? He's looking for areas where the knowledge of God's word, or even if you know what the Bible says, where your confidence that it's telling you the truth is waning. It's not strong. You haven't fortified that. And he sees this weak spot. He sees this opening. And so he begins to strike and to strike and to strike and to strike. And notice this. It's not just that he's hitting you with something. It says he's a roaring lion. Well, why didn't he just say a lion? But the roaring part's really important because lions, if you ever watch Animal Planet, lions roar with an intentionality. Their, their war can be heard up to five miles away, and the reason they're, they're roaring, number one, they're instilling fear in any challengers. Any other lions that are going to challenge them for their territory, well, they'll begin to roar and let that reverberate for miles out to let them know, if you came here to take my territory, you've got to have a fight on your hands. Not only that, they're communicating territorial rights. They're claiming territory. I own this circle. I own where where my roar reverberates. I own that. And the final thing is they're laying claims to their prey. So here's what it's telling us, that the enemy comes and he brings in his hand worry. And he begins to strike and strike, but he does it by roaring. And listen, he roars long before you have anything to be concerned about. These are talking about the what ifs, right? It's one thing when you start to step out and you can see the risks. It's another thing when God begins to nudge you and speak to you and you're thinking, yeah, but if I do that, what if this happens or what if that happens? And the what ifs become so loud because he's roaring, roaring, roaring. He's circling your life and he finds those areas that the what ifs maybe have, a, you know, have, have made you a little weak in your faith and he begins to roar and roar and roar. And this stuff hasn't even happened yet. Hadn't even happened. But you're thinking, but what if it does? What if it does? What if it does? And he's roaring, and what he's trying to do is to instill fear, to try to break through and get you to feel insecure, get you to say, ah, maybe I shouldn't step out. Maybe I shouldn't trust the Lord. Maybe I shouldn't get in that class. Maybe I shouldn't join that small group because I've done that before, and you know it kind of disappointed me, or I got hurt, or I got burned here, and I got there. Maybe I shouldn't try it again. Listen, he's trying to instill fear. He's trying to claim territory, trying to gain access to your thinking process so he can begin to steer you away from what the Lord's trying to do in your life. But Peter also says this. This is really important. He says that he's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Somehow Christians have this idea that Satan can just pounce on anybody he wants, anytime he wants, and just destroy their lives. And Number of places in the Bible, but right here, Peter is just dialing us in and saying, listen carefully, that is not true. If the enemy could just pounce on you as a child of God and tear your life up, he would have done it the moment you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
He would have just tore you up right then. But the truth is, he absolutely cannot do it. He has to wait. He has to circle. He has to roar. He, he has to, to stalk. He has to keep pounding and pounding and pounding, hoping that somehow you're going to give in to, to fear and worry, and then he can come devour you. In fact, one of the most startling discoveries that I made as I was studying this passage a number of years ago is the word devour. I always just thought when a roaring lion pounces on, it's just ripping and shredding, you know, I mean, it's, it's animal planet stuff, right? It's violent, and, but that's not even close to what this word means. This particular word is the Greek word katapeno, and, and here's what it means. It means to pounce on something, that's the word kata, to come down with all your force and might, but the second part of the word, listen carefully, it means to slurp up the remains, so here's what the Bible's telling us. When it comes to worry, it's so dehabilitating. It's so dangerous. It'll stop you in your tracks before you ever even let God talk to you about something. The what-ifs will just haunt you, and the enemy will roar, and the stress is pounding and pounding and pounding. And if you give in to that, and you don't allow God's word to build a fortification around you, then the enemy doesn't have anything to do other than just let you self-destruct. In your own thinking, in your own worry. Come on, you know what I'm talking about because you've been in services before, right? And God's spoken to you and you can feel faith begin to arise and hope is inflating you again. You can see that God loves you. The problem is before you got to the car, the enemy talked you out of it. The enemy says, ah, you felt that feeling before. You put your trust in God before. Remember that one turned out? You couldn't hang in there. You just couldn't stay steady, and you got really disappointed, and then you didn't know what to do, and the enemy is just roaring, roaring, roaring. And listen, if he has his way, all he has to do is roar loud enough and long enough, and you'll self-implode. And when you do, he just strolls right in and slurps up the remains. This is powerful stuff. Peter's trying to say this, and I know what I'm talking about. This is what happened to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is what happened to him elsewhere, you know, when, when he's on the beach and Jesus is trying to talk him back, saying, listen, I need you to come back into me. Oh, I don't know if I can come back. I, I really messed up before. And Jesus is challenging him over and over and over. Peter, come back in. Step back in. Be strong in my strength. You can do this. And finally, Peter does. But it took him a while to begin to learn, so this is exactly how it works. So how dangerous is worry? It is so dangerous that Jesus says, I don't want one ounce in your life ever. You'll feel it. The roars will be there, but you can never, ever, ever give in to that. In fact, here's question number two, then what should we do about that? What should we do about the devil when he begins to roar? How, how do we combat that? And we're going to look at verse 9. It's going to tell us. But first, I want you to, to see something else. This is so important because we tend to focus on the fact that our enemy is like a roaring lion, but we forget he's not the only one in the Bible that roars. Listen to what Joel 3.16 says. It says, the Lord also will roar from Zion. And utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but, but, I said yesterday in the marriage conference, I love Bible buts. Maybe you don't, but I've come to love Bible buts. Because I'll be tracking along and I'll be realizing, oh, I missed it. Oh, I didn't get that. Oh, I still got to work on that. And then we get to a but... 
And I always think, oh, I love Bible butts and I cannot die. And I say, no, don't go down. No, come back, come back, come back, come back. They, they just make me happy. They make me happy. Because it's the butts in the word of God that brings back and says, listen, God knew this was going to happen, but, but, listen, heavens and earth will shake. My world is coming apart, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of his children, Israel. This is God talking to us, right? And so here, listen, here's what Peter's Peter telling us. Listen, the devil's going to roar. He's going to roar all the time. This is what he does. He's relentless. He roars and he roars and he roars and he roars and he's pounding and pounding and pounding, circling your life, looking for the weak spot. And then he's just going to pick on that and keep moving. But it says we're supposed to resist him in the faith. Resist him not once in a while, not on Sundays when the worship's going and the presence of God's in the house, but resist him steadfast in the faith. Here's what it's trying to say. When the, the enemy roars with worry and says, your world's coming apart, man. You can't hold it together. You know you don't have what it takes to keep going very much longer. Man, you feel like you're just coming apart. You need to roar right back and say, though heaven and earth are shaking, my God was my strength. You roar right back with the word of God. Maybe you got a sickness and a disease or some family thing, or you just got a doctor's diagnosis, and you're like, for, you know, the healing set to the side. How am I going to pay for this? The medical costs are crazy. I'm just now catching up from something else, and now this one hits me. How am I going to do it? And the enemy's just roar, pounding, worry, worry, worry. And you need to roar back Philippians 4.19. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. See, we don't understand. We get to roar too. We don't have to just cower in fear and let that roar just kind of paralyze us and back us into a corner and we just get really small and really still and we won't take any risks and we won't step out into any new adventures. We won't sign up for stuff. We won't volunteer for stuff because we've tried that before. And what if, what if, what if? We need to begin to roar back and say, no, no, no. God's got a really big life for me. God's got a big plan for me. He wants me to be all that he's planned me to be, and I'm going to do everything. If the Bible says I can do it, I can do it. If the Bible says I can have it, I can have it. If the Bible says I can experience it, I can overcome it, then I can experience and overcome this. And this is what God said. So we need to lean into this, lean into this. You say, okay, pastor, I get it. You know, I'm feeling a little bit charged here, and you're kind of giving me the, you know, do it for the Gipper speech, and I, I get it. I'm with you. But how do we know that's true? Listen to verse 9 again. He says, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing, knowing, knowing. This particular word in the Greek, knowing, is really interesting. It means it's just an established fact. It's like when you talk to somebody, it's like, everybody knows that. Everybody knows that. I mean, this is just an accepted fact. Nobody's disputing this. It kind of points us to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where the Bible says uh, that there's this great crowd, cloud of witnesses all around us. That's proving the fact that no matter how loud the devil roars, God's still faithful. God roars louder. His words are true. And that great cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 12, that's not just people that have already gone to heaven. That's people that are right here around us. You want to know how, God, how, you, how you can be positive God's faithful besides the fact that he said it in, in his word? Just ask people around you. 
In fact, let's just take a poll. I, I, don't, I haven't been here. I don't know who you are, but, but I'm, I just have all confidence in God. How many of you would raise your hand and say, Pastor, there was a time in my life where, man, I, I didn't know how I was going to make it. I didn't think I was going to come through, and God did a wonderful thing. Let me see your hand. Look, look. If you feel alone this morning and the enemy's just pounding on you like, I just don't know. How do I know? How do I know? Look, right around you. Talk to somebody while you're having coffee. Has God ever helped you out? Has God ever done something for you and you didn't know if he's going to be able to do it? Has God ever pulled you out of the hole? Well, start with yourself because the answer is going to be yes, 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 a thousand times yes. And you need to understand and recognize this. Let me read one more scripture and we're going to leave here. So it said, here's a third question then. Third question is, well, then where do we begin? Where do we begin? And it says, take 10 more minutes. All right. Listen, I, I'm not sure I've ever had anybody say that to me before. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. So the question is, where do we begin? That's your third question. Where do we begin? And Peter doesn't leave us hanging on the cliff. In fact, that's where he started, although we didn't know all this good stuff. And so we back up to verse number six, and he says, therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. We have a really weird idea about what that means. We think it, come, it means, you know, come into our prayer time and just start telling God all the bad stuff about us as if he doesn't already know. He knows all that. The humility doesn't come in just in the confession. The humility comes in the receiving or the accepting what he's willing to do for you. And so this says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God so that he can exalt you in due time. Can I just give you a good word this morning? God's not trying to press you down. He's not trying to, you know, to beat you up. He doesn't want to bring correction. Jesus took all of that for us. Thank the Lord. God's trying to lift you up. God's trying to bring you to that adventure that you, at nighttime, you're like, oh, there's got to be more. He's like, yes, there's a lot more. Would you listen to me and humble yourself and just let me help you to get to the next level because he wants that more than you do. But here's how. He says, casting all your care upon him. This is the second word in this that just blew me away and changed my life forever when I saw this. The word casting is another one of those really crazy great Greek words. And it's a compound word. The first part of the word, epi, just means something that's up on top or to, to put up on top of something. And the second part of the word, ripto, means to throw or, or to literally pull from your toes and heave something up on top of something else. But what makes it more interesting, it's only used one other time in the New Testament. And now that the time is in Luke chapter 19, verse 35, it gives us such a graphic picture of what Peter's trying to tell us to do. It says, so they brought the colt to Jesus and they cast their garments over the colt for him to ride on. So it's literally saying that, uh, like in the New Testament, when somebody had a load that was too heavy, today we would look for somebody with a truck or somebody with a trailer or somebody with some muscle to help us to haul something. What they had was a donkey or an ox or a beast of burden. So if they had something they had to haul and they couldn't lift it or they couldn't get it somewhere they needed to be, they would call somebody with a beast of burden. They would bring that beast of burden and they would get some help and they would oh, lift it over and clunk it on top of the beast of burden. Here, listen, here's the picture. Then once they put it on top of the beast of burden, they just had to take the rope and they could walk effortlessly all the way to the destination while the beast of burden carried all the weight. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
He's saying you were never designed to carry that weight. You're never designed to carry the stress. You were never designed to carry that. And if you try, it's going to hurt you. I mean, it'll physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, not even talking about the outcomes of our life, it will hurt you. And Jesus is saying, please, please, let me be your beast of burden. Take, take that thing you're stressing and roll it over on my shoulders and then let you and I just walk together and I'll walk you right through the middle of it all the way to the destiny that I have. This is his promise to us. You say, why would he do that? I mean, come on, Pastor. He's seen my track record. He's seen my life. I'm still struggling with some of the things that he wanted me to get over along. Why would he do that? Look what it says. Casting all your care on him for he cares for you. That's a different Greek word than the first care. The first word care meant stress and anxiety. This particular word care means to be deeply concerned about. Means to be emotionally invested and deeply and meticulously careful or attentive to. And this is saying here the reason that Jesus would do that because he loves you and he cares for you more than you know. Heard a story one time about a fireman and he's in the station and all of a sudden the bells go off and you know they do what they do. They rally around, get all their equipment on and they jump on the truck and, and as the fire the engine is roaring to the, the place of the fire, he hears over the loudspeaker an address that is familiar and he realizes that's my house. They pull around the corner down to a street and he can see the smoke billowing and flames coming out of the window and he's you know, desperately looking around, and he sees his wife and two of his children standing there, but not the third. His heart's panicking. That, that engine doesn't even come to a stop where he breaks protocols, he breaks ranks. He leaps off the engine, and just as his foot hit the ground, he could see his young daughter hanging out of the second-story window, and she's screaming, screaming in panic. And he runs over to the house. Not even time to grab a ladder, no time to hook up a hose. He runs over to the side of the house and he said, sweetheart, 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 you don't have to be afraid. Daddy's here. He says, but I need you to do something. Listen to me. I need you to do something. I need you to jump. And she said, daddy, I can't see you. There's too much smoke. I'm afraid. I can feel the, I can feel the heat. I can't do it. I can't see you. And he says, that's all right, sweetheart. Listen, daddy can see you. You jump and I'll catch you. You know, this is what the Lord is trying to say to us. Let me ask you the question I started with, and we'll bring it to a close. What would you do different if you knew you couldn't fail? What would life look like if you knew that the risks were not to hurt you, but they were God opening up a whole other chapter in your life? What would you do if you knew you had someone in your corner who would never leave you nor forsake you, not for a split second, and who promises, I will never let you hit the ground. I'll catch you every single time. How would your life be different? That's exactly what Peter's trying to get, us, get across to us. Took him all these years to finally come to this conclusion and say, you can trust Jesus. Cast all your care on him because he cares for you. Would you bow your head? I want to pray for you this morning. Gary, you can come on up. If you... Uh, as we're talking, if, if the Holy Spirit has spoken anything to you, or if you've identified a, a place of worry, or maybe, you know, maybe not a, a present worry, but some insecurity or something that's held you back, I just want you to pull that to your mind right now. Just pull it to your mind right now. Father, I'm praying in the name of Jesus. A couple of scriptures that come to mind, Isaiah 54, 17, promises when it comes to your kids, no weapon that's formed against them will ever, ever prosper. 
And every word, every roar of the enemy that's speaking worry or threatening them with the possibility of failure, telling them the risk is too great, that God won't answer them this time. They've missed their opportunity. The window's closed. Lord, you said that our right as children of God is to take those words and slam them down to the ground. Say, they hold no weight in my life. God is the one that speaks to me. And Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1.17, I'm asking that this morning you would take that worry that they've got in front of them and you would just blow it away. Just cause it to melt away this morning, Lord. And you would fill their spirit up with wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. Help them to understand just how faithful and how much God loves them and how much he's willing to demonstrate his strength and power on their behalf. Touch them today. Challenge them today. And heal them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.